awesome. Thanks, man. Man, great to be with you guys this morning. Do uh, you guys love Jesus? Yeah. Awesome. Well, I came to the right spot. Hey, uh, if you got a Bible, open up to Romans chapter number five. We're going to take a look at some verses here. But uh, as you guys are flipping there, I wanted to let you guys know a little bit about myself. Uh, first off, I just want to say it really is an honor to be here with you guys here in Austin. And I don't know if you guys know this, but um, like when this happens, like on Sunday, like that's a mini miracle. Like you guys realize that, right? Like the Holy Spirit is like working and moving and like you all have a gathering right here in the heart of Austin, which I don't know if you guys know like the data and stuff like that. Like I want to say it's less than 4% are actually churched in the city of Austin. So like what's happening right here, no joke, is like a mini miracle. So I'm really excited to be here with you guys this morning and just see the Holy Spirit work. Uh, my background, my story, um, I was actually in the military for quite a while, um, served for about five years. Um, and when Steve asked me to talk on the topic of freedom, I was like, I can definitely do that. Um, I may not be able to go super theologically deep or anything like that, but I can talk about freedom because I know where I've been and I know where God's brought me. And um, God radically changed my life when I was 25 years old, um, and uh, my life has never been the same. And so it really is awesome to be here with you guys, to be able to talk on this topic of freedom. So if you've got your Bible, take a look at Romans chapter number 5. We're going to look at verse 17. I'm going to set this up, uh, and it says this. This is Paul talking to the Romans. He says, for the sin of this one man, Adam cause death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive will live in triumph. Turn to your neighbor and say triumph, triumph. It says that you will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus. Would you pray with me one more time that we would hear from the Holy Spirit today that I just get myself out of the way and God would speak and work uh, for you in your life to see exactly what he wants you to get. Father, we thank you for the moments that we get to share. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Now, more than anything else today, we pray that we would see his beauty, his majesty, his grace, and the freedom that he offers us. Father, I pray today that if anyone comes in with baggage, with things in in their life, things where, uh, God, they feel like they're bound or God, they've got chains on. Father, I pray today would be the day that they would break free, not in their own strength, God, but because of your son, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, Paul, he he talks here in Romans chapter number five, and he sets up this, this topic, this conversation here. And what he does is he compares and contrasts two people. You've got here in Romans 5, 17, you've got this person by the name of Adam, right? Everybody remember the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? You've got Adam who... He goes and he kind of follows along with his wife, Eve. She takes the fruit. She eats of it. He eats of it. And then he blames her for it, right? Remember that story? Like, this is the story of Adam. And what happens, it says, uh, what Paul says is that Adam, in this moment, when he sins, the rest of humanity is changed. That when he took a bite of that fruit, when Eve took a bite of that fruit, the rest of humanity would never be the same. Unfortunately, you and I, we are somewhere down that line from Adam. And at this point in time, Paul had established a church right there in the city. And he had uh, really poured into them. They were an incredibly generous church. And what happened was Paul left to go start another work. And some people came in behind Paul that said, oh man, it's awesome. 
This is great that you guys now know Jesus. You've entered into the family of God. And these people were called Judaizers. And what they said was this. They said, we know that Jesus is important. We know he's really important. But that's not actually everything. If you really want to be right with God, there's a couple other things you've got to do. Uh, like, for instance, you've got to keep the Sabbath. I mean, if you're not keeping the Sabbath, you're, you're really not right, a good Christian. And they wouldn't use even the word Christian. You're, you're really not a good child of God. I said, uh, not only that, you, you also need to be circumcised. Uh, you need to keep the festive days, right? You, know, you don't need to eat any of those foods. And so these Judaizers come in and Paul writes the entire letter of Galatians disputing that, saying, no, 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 no. Th- this isn't the gospel that I was telling you. This isn't what I've been saying. And so what they do is they in- he introduces Jesus, but what happens is the Judaizers come in and say, actually, it's Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus these other things. If you really want to be right with God. Now, why is this a big deal? Why is it a big deal that Paul would write an entire letter talking about this topic? Why is it a big deal that your pastor Steve would have an entire series on the topic of living in freedom? Well, I think the reason is because you and I, we have a propensity to go back to our old ways. Our desire is actually to follow a law. I mean, how much easier would it be if you knew that you had a scoreboard and you could see exactly where you were? Oh man, I'm doing really well this week. Got in six whole days of Bible reading. God must be really pleased. But that's what we do, isn't it? You ever thought about it? Like, how do you judge yourself? How do you look at yourself when it comes to spiritual matters? And Paul here, he he thinks it's such a big deal that he writes an entire letter to the Galatians. I think many times we've got this concept and this understanding of, you know, do you remember when you were first saved? Like, do you remember that moment? Like you come to Jesus and, and you're sitting there and you're saying, just as I am, right? Jesus is, is beckoning me. He's calling me. Hey, come just as you are. All the baggage, all the messed up stuff, all the ways that you've totally felt. Come just as you are. And we say, oh, thank you, Jesus. It's, it's freeing. It's freedom for me. Just as I am. Here, here I am. And then all of a sudden, some well-meaning Christians come in. They say, oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad you came to Jesus. Hey, do you know, if you want to be a really good Christian, you need to read your Bible every day. You say, oh, okay, awesome. I'm going to read my Bible every day. He said, actually, and if you want to be a really, really good Christian, you need to have a quiet time. Like, what's a quiet time? <laughs> Is that like where I'm in timeout? Like, what? A, no, 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 it's a quiet time. It's prayer. It's great. Okay, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a quiet time. And they said, well, you know, if you're going to be a really good Christian, you shouldn't be wearing skinny jeans, right? That, that needs to go away. That's got to go away. And, and you shouldn't really wear your hair that way, right? Like if you're going to be a really good Christian and, and you kind of left there like, oh, okay, I've, I've got it now. I'm, I'm a good Christian now. And I, I feel so free now that I'm following Jesus. And you, and you walk away and you're like, why am I weighed down? Like, how did this happen? Here I am. Jesus says, come just as you are. And yet many well-meaning Christians, I mean, myself included, we, we have a tendency to give this concept off that if you really want to be good, there's some extra things that you have to do. And yet Jesus says throughout scripture, he says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. To me, that doesn't sound like being weighed down. That sounds like, it sounds like freedom. So I want to ask you a question today, and this is a really probing question. And this is what's really going to start our conversation in our main text. Is this question, is are Christians under the law? 
If I were to ask you that question here today, and if, and if you were to raise your hand, I'm not going to embarrass you and say you've got to raise your hand. But if I were to ask you the question, are Christians under the law? Like, what do you think you would say? Like Jesus actually says, he says that the law will never pass away. So you sit there and you think, okay, is, are we, are we under law? I'm not sure. Like what's, what's pastor Steve doing? Oh, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Think about it though. Like, are, are we under law? And I think many of us, if we were to ask this question, many of us would be confused. Are, are we, or aren't we? I'm not really sure because the answer to that question really determines your relationship with God. The answer to that question provides freedom for your life. And if you don't know without a doubt that question, I'm telling you, I don't think you're living in the freedom that God has for you. So if you've got your Bible again, go to Romans chapter seven, just a page over. And I want to read through this passage. Paul writes describing this exact question. And I'm going to, I'm going to read through verses one through four. And then the last verse, verse number six, but Paul writes to the Romans about this and he uses an analogy of a marriage relationship. So let's see what he says. He says, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? Okay. So we're we're all here. We're all breathing. We're all living. So the law applies only when we're living. Verse two, for example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, The laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And does not commit adultery when she remarries. So here he goes in. He says, so my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. Verse six, but now you have been released from the law for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. So we're like a wife really submitting to this authority. Paul gives the analogy of this marriage relationship, this wife and, and her husband. And he s- describes the law as this husband. Now, again, we know that the law is perfect and holy and righteous, right? We know that the law is good, but what Paul says here is very, very interesting. And what Jesus says is interesting as well. He says that as long as we're alive, the law will not pass away. Jesus even says, he says, the law will never pass away. In fact, he even says every iota, every dot, right? Everything will be fulfilled. So where are we at in this, right? Here I am. We know that we're married to the law. We know that the law says that here's the rules that we have to follow because of our sin nature. It's binding. We're attached to it. It's almost like we're stuck, isn't it? It's almost like we're, we're attached to the law and it doesn't seem like we can, we can get out. The interesting thing is this is that the law, while it is good, perfect, and holy, the law, all it does is point out our flaws. It's kind of like a husband who is always right and is always pointing out the things that you should do, but never lifts a finger to help you. That's essentially what the law is like. Think about it. How is it that the law never produces life? How is it that the law 
never produces freedom. All it has the ability to do is point out the areas where you and I have fallen. So we're in this, we're in this spot. We see Jesus and we say, wow, there's freedom. That's, that's the husband I want to be married to. That's who I want to follow. But yet here I am, I'm, I'm stuck with the law. I'm stuck with this guy over here who, right? And, and, and the thing is, we can't even argue with it, right? Because it's right. Like the law is right. It points it out over and over. And, and we sit there and we say, yeah, you're right. You're right. I messed up again. And Paul says, we're in this interesting dilemma here. Look at verse number four. This is what Paul says. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. So the law actually lives on. Just like Jesus said, the law doesn't pass away, but the law lives on. But when we died to the power of the law, we died to it through the body of Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul says in Corinthians where he says, when he talks about when when Christ dies on the cross, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me. It's an interesting statement that Paul makes here. And it makes us think back to Romans chapter 5 when Paul is describing Adam. How you and I, no matter where we are, when we are born into the world, we are born into Adam. We are born with a sin nature. And so the only way out is through what Paul describes here as being in Christ. You see, we came into sin when Adam wrecked the human race. And the only way that we can come into freedom is through Jesus. And Paul continues to describe it throughout the New Testament as being in Christ. Now, what we have to look at here are two different things. We're in between two worlds. How do we find freedom that know that the law will never pass away? Well, it comes through a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus had two relationships with the law. The first relationship was this, was that Jesus lived a perfect life. Meaning this, that the law had nothing on Jesus. Plenty of times Jesus would tell people, he would say, hey, come, come and take a look. Is there any law that I've broken? Is there anything that I've done wrong? He challenged people. He said, take a look. I am perfect, blameless according to the law. Everything that Jesus did in his life was perfect. Now that blows my mind just to think about what that's like. I mean, I can't make it probably past this sermon without, without sinning. But you think about the fact that Jesus was perfect in not only action, but motive. Everything that Jesus did was perfect. And so his relationship to the law was that the law had nothing on him. The law wasn't binding. In fact, Satan, he he told Satan, right? Like, come, you've got nothing on me. You hold nothing against me. He was perfect. The second relationship that we have is this, is Jesus, when it comes to his death, the idea of an offering, a sacrificial offering, It says here that Jesus made him sin, excuse me, God made him sin to be no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I want you to think about that for a moment. God, in the moment of Jesus' death on the cross, it's called this great exchange. Here's the perfect, perfect person, the God-man, on the cross, lives a perfect life, and what he deserves is glory. What he deserves, right, is 
uh, really in the, to be in the presence of God. But what he gets is death. And in fact, on the cross is this great exchange. Scripture says that in this moment, Jesus exchanges his righteousness for the sins of humanity. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus' relationship with the law. At that moment, God the Father places the sins of humanity. Let's, let's bring it down this way. God, on the cross, places the sins of everyone in this room on Jesus. So when God sees Jesus, he sees all the sin that you've committed in your life. All the things that you don't want anybody else to know about. You don't want anybody to see. God places that on Jesus in that moment. And what happens is this, is that there's this great exchange that happens. What Jesus does is he takes what Paul would say would be the full curse of the law. So Jesus's relationship with the law is that in one instance, he's completely perfect. And in the next instance, he's seen as the biggest sinner that humanity has ever known. And in this moment, what we see is that when Jesus dies on the cross, when we place our faith in Jesus, Paul would say that we are hidden in Christ. And that when we are hidden in Christ, what we find is that we get his righteousness. And in exchange, Jesus takes our sinfulness. It's this great exchange. And this is the only way when reading through Romans chapter 7 that we could get around the concept of us sitting here constantly being married to the law and yet wishing that we had a husband like Jesus. The only way that it would happen would be if we died. Remember the verse? If we died and we found a new husband. What Jesus does in this moment is he takes that on himself. It says, through the body of Christ, when he died to the law... He said, it was finished. Can I tell you here today that if you're wrestling with sin in your life, that if you're wrestling with a stronghold in your life, the way to freedom is not willpower. The way to freedom is not to place more rules on yourself. The way to, it's like, it's like this. It's like being in a relationship with my wife and saying, man, things aren't going so hot. I really haven't been doing what I really wanted to do. Like we haven't been going on some dates. You know what I'll do to make this relationship better? I'm going to go back to my ex and we're going to get real close. Like that just doesn't work. Right. But like, that's essentially what we do when we are Jesus followers. We say, oh, Jesus, I love you. I want to be close to you. So what I'm going to do is set a bunch of rules for myself so that you'll accept me. We're going back to an old husband. Do you see the dichotomy here? Like if you want to be sanctified, we get closer to Jesus. We don't go back to the law. And it's a small nuance because the only way that I can determine it is in my heart. I don't even know if my wife is doing this, right? Like you can't, you can't know this unless it's you and God. Because we can be doing the right things for all the wrong reasons. What Jesus is saying here is this. Is he says, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That sin that you've been dealing with, he says, it's finished. It's over at the cross. And this is what happens. Look at Galatians 2. It says, uh, Paul says here, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He uses this example. He says, basically, we have been discharged from our old husband. Uh, Romans 7, verse 6, we, we just read it. It says it this way. But now we are released from the law. So I was in the military uh, for five years, had the opportunity to serve in some, uh, some awesome units. And I remember uh, I was a captain 
when I got out. And I remember seeing a lot of my soldiers and, and I loved uh, the sergeants that worked for me. And these guys were like grizzly, right? These, these guys were like the guys who had like deep voices, but they'd be yelling at you like left, right, you know, drop, give me 50, you know, the whole thing, right? Like they were, they were those types of guys. And so I remember watching some of my soldiers and, and I want you to imagine for a moment, you're in this unit, you're in this military unit and the sergeant's yelling at you. And for four or five years, right, you've been there and every word that he says, you got to snap to attention. He says, go left, you go left. He says, go right, you go right. He says, jump, you say, how high, right? It's yes, yes, yes. And then all of a sudden, one day, your discharge papers come in. You get an honorable discharge. So he says, oh, awesome, this is great. I get to go back home. And so you've got your coat, right? You've got your ties undone. You haven't shaved. And so you're, you're walking across the parade field like, this is awesome. And all of a sudden, that sergeant sees you across the way. He says, soldier, stop, right? And you're like, oh, man. And you think, charged. I, I no longer have to follow what he says. You're like, bye, Sarge. I'm out of here. And you walk out. You see, this is what Paul is talking about when he says, we have been released from the law. Sin is no longer the issue. He says, you've been released. And yet many times what we want to do is we want to go back to the law. Look at verse four. It says this. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. Over and over and over, he says this. He says, so that. So that. And look what it says right after that. So that we would bear fruit. I wonder how many of us are still trying to live out our old life and wondering why we can't bear fruit. How many of us are still stuck in our old way of thinking and are wondering, why am I not bearing fruit? Why do I not have a passion about Jesus? Because you haven't found freedom. Because you don't realize the depths that God has brought you from and the free gift that it was. And what we have a tendency to do as Christians is we say, all right, God, I know that you saved me from my past, but I've got it from here. I'm going to take it from here, God, because you know what? I know you clean that. I can handle it. I want to prove to you how good I am. Well, that makes it, you know, a whole hour. And we come back, we're like, how did I mess that up again? How did I fall short again? Can I tell you, if Jesus' salvation, if, if his grace was good enough for your salvation, it's good enough for your sustainment through every challenge and every trial. If Jesus is enough, then he's really enough. And yet what we want to do is we want to be justified through our own sanctification process. We want to be justified by following the letter of the law. And Paul says, stop it. It's about Jesus. It's about your relationship with Jesus. Let me prove it to you. Galatians 3, 21 and 22, it says this. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. Again, nobody can do that. 22. But scripture declares that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus again and again and again. That sin that happened last night, sin that happened this week, again, I come back to Jesus. And the thing is, 
he uses this word it, life, freedom, right? It, I think many of us, we, we think this idea that it's going to produce life if I follow the rules and if I'm the best version of me that I can be. If the law can impart life, I mean, we ought to go and tell people about it. I mean, think about it. Like, we ought to go down to 6th Street and tell people about, about the law. Like, how, how good does that work, right? Like, you're there and you're like, hey, thou shalt not steal. Hey, thou shalt not bear false witness. Wait, nobody's changing. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And we sit there and we wonder, why is nobody changing? I thought it was going to impart life, but there's no change. You see, if the law could impart life, we would have had it long ago. We would have had life. And what Paul says here, he says, look, the old husband, as holy and as righteous as the law was, it was an impotent husband. It would not produce fruit. It would not produce fruit in your life. There's no fruit from him that is being produced. But yet when we look at Jesus, it says, so that, look, verse four, so that as a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. You want to produce good deeds? You want to produce good deeds? Follow Jesus. Get close to Jesus. You want to find freedom in your life? You've got a stronghold in your life? Get close to Jesus. Do you want to change a city for God? Get close to Jesus. Because when we get close to Jesus, it says that he will bear fruit in your life. If you're so concerned about trying about, it's almost like those rose petals, right? He loves me. He loves me not. If you're so concerned about where, where you and God are on this relationship, I'm telling you, you will never bear fruit because you'll be so concerned with following what your old husband is doing. He says, if you want that, get close to me. We have a good friend of ours that, um, is living in the Sonoma area. And it was incredible, um, in talking with them, it felt like they had everything, everything was together on the surface and, um, started having them over for dinner, getting to know them. And Van and I, we just started talking about, um, where God had brought us and our relationship with Jesus and how, you know, we're making way less money, working way more hours. And yet we we're so much more overjoyed with what God's doing in our life. We have more peace than I'd ever imagined. And they sit there and they're like, how is this possible? These, these are people who have a couple homes, right? They've got some big retirement funds. Like they've got a lot of good stuff going on in their life. And yet they were, she was completely anxious. And like inside she was dealing with anxiety. I mean, to a crazy level. And I didn't know any of this. We were just sharing what God was doing in our life. So I had the opportunity to lead her husband to the Lord. And he comes back to their house and he says, hey, you know what we want to do? I think we ought to just start reading about Jesus. Ben keeps talking about Jesus and I really want to follow him why don't we just get together and do this? Like, you know, we're just going to read a Bible together. and We're going to talk about Jesus in our life. I didn't realize this, but up to that point, she had been in counseling for years and years and years, made a profession of faith when she was young, but had been dealing with an eating disorder, been dealing with anxiety and been running, trying to do all these checklist things. Three days into following Jesus, her life completely changed so much so that she calls my wife and says, what has Ben teaching David? Like my life has changed. I found freedom. I, I'm no longer anxious anymore. She shared her testimony a few months back with our team, talking about the change that's happened in her life. 
See, this isn't about rules and and regulations. This isn't about her getting in and reading seven times a day and having a quiet time and having a fasting time and all of that. It's about walking with Jesus, her true husband. And what happened was it completely changed her life forever. And what happens is this, is that we have a tendency to sit there and say, okay, Jesus, I know what you did was good for me. I know you wiped the slate clean, but now that the slate's clean, I'm going to prove my worth to you. And what Satan does is in that moment, he comes in and he says, how are you doing? You, you ever felt like that? Like you, you get on a roll, you're on that roller coaster. It's just clicking up, 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 right? Everything's going well. You're like, oh, this is great. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing what I'm supposed to, right? This is all awesome. And then Satan comes along and he goes, hey, uh, Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Everything's clicking on all cylinders. He says, well, have you heard of Pastor Stephen over here? I said, no, what's going on? He fasts twice a week. Oh, man. Well, if I'm going to be a real Christian, I better fast twice a week. And all of a sudden, I add it. I add it to my list of, of things I got to do. And I start fasting twice a, week, twice a week, and inevitably, I end up failing. And I think, how's God ever going to use me? I'm, I'm trying to do this thing. I can't even do it for him. And yet, Jesus is sitting here. He's like, what are you talking about not going to do it for me? I've already done it for you. It says that we were dead in trespasses. We were dead in our sin. There, we weren't drowning. We weren't struggling. Like we were just dead. And God said, I'm going to bring you to life through my son, Jesus. Once we have life, we don't go back to the old way. You don't go back to an ex. You don't go back to the old husband. You press into the one that you have and you find grace and you find love and you find freedom. Romans 8, right? You guys know this. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ. In the moment of sin, you, I want you to get this. You can look yourself in the mirror and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The moment of sin, because it's not about you. It's not about what you're doing. It's about who you know. It's about the fact that you are in Christ. And when you're in Christ, he's covered you. If it was about what you would do, the thief on the cross wouldn't even be in the Bible. We think that, oh man, I'm not a great prayer. The Bible even tells us, it says that we don't know how to pray. It says that the Holy Spirit has to do it for us. So when, you're, when you're here and you're, you're so, can, you're bound up. Jesus is saying, look, I've come to give you life. I've come to give you freedom. Can I challenge you today to not go back? Don't go back to the old husband. Don't go back to the old way. Eugene Peterson in the message, he writes this. This is uh, two verses down from Romans 1. It's in uh, Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. I love how he puts this. He says, God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, which tells you about the weight of this issue, in his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity, always, always trying to get it right, always trying to do it on their own, in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, any of the law, weakened as it always was, was fractured by human nature, could never have been done. Meaning there's no way for us to get out of the law. We were always going to fail. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing that Jesus was. And now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver is accomplished 
uh, as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, so it's accomplished instead of us trying harder, it's accomplished by simply the embrace of Jesus and what his spirit is doing in us. I wonder today, where are you at? Are you trying to redouble your efforts? Are you, are you sitting here and, and looking around at your life and saying, you know what? I've got to get a better plan. I've got to get a better plan for my life. I'm going to close with this as the band comes up. Jesus, the last moments of his life, he's in the upper room. And uh, he's got all his disciples around him. And again, these guys... I got, I got to feel bad for Jesus because in this moment, like you would think he would have picked some better dudes, you know, some people who actually knew, knew what he had talked about for the last three years, but they don't, they don't get it. And in this moment he's talking and he starts talking about the law and he starts saying, Hey, I'm not going to be with you any longer. And here's the one thing he says, if I could break down everything that the law says, everything that the hundreds and hundreds of laws the, the, the way that you're supposed to keep this law and this law, but not this law and this state. If I could tell you all of that and sum it up into one thing, here's what I would want you to get. When I'm gone, I want you to get this one thing. And he says this in John chapter 13, verse 34. This is what he says. So it, it's so impactful. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That doesn't sound like a list of rules and regulations. It sounds like a relationship. Just as I have loved you, you're to reach this city. Just as I have loved you, you're to reach that family member that doesn't know me. Just as I've loved you, you're to love your kids the way that I've called you to love your kids. Just as I've loved you, you're to pray for that prodigal to come home. You see, when a relationship with the creator of the universe isn't dependent on what you do or don't do. It gives you freedom. I wonder today who needs that freedom. Who needs to walk away from that old husband. Say today's the day. Jesus I need you. I need freedom for my life. I need to walk. In what's already been given. Would you pray with me? Jesus we thank you for these moments that we share. We thank you for your son Jesus. Jesus who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, we can't even grasp the fact that you, would, you wouldn't consider equality with God, the, all the power of the universe. From a breath of your voice, the universe was created and continues to expand to this day. You would humble yourself to put on a dirt suit, to, to enter into humanity for all time. To be obedient to the point of death. To fulfill the law. And Jesus finally to take for us our sin and give us freedom in you. Jesus, we praise you. We give you glory. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.